Welcome to Queens Public Library's Hip Hop Series Podcast. Recorded on December 22nd, 2015, I'm VJ Ralph McDaniels, and here's an interview with DMC of Run DMC. So without further ado, even though I know you really did come to see me, I would like to turn it over to our very, very special guest. Please help me welcome Ralph McDaniels. What's up, y'all? It's, it's hip-hop in the building, make some noise, all right? That's what I'm talking about right there. If you over 30, make some noise up in here right now. <laughs> if you under 30, make some noise up in here. Right, that's a nice little balance. That's how it's supposed to be. So so, so we are here today uh, to talk about um, DMC and Daryl Makes Comics. And, um, and so we, 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 and I don't know if you guys have seen the comic book yet, but here's, this is volume two, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. This is volume two. All right, so we, we there is a volume one, but it sold yes. out. It was, yes, volume one sold out, yes. which is a good thing. All right. So, so once again, we want to welcome to you to the uh, Queens Library. This is a, a special event for us right now, and um, it's all about hip-hop and bringing this to the, the library, something new and something different. So we've been working on this for a while. So thank you to everybody here that's participated in this. And, uh, and I'm going to start off, you know, we talk about 2 Fifth Street in, in, Hollis, in Hollis, Queens. You know, were you thinking about being a rapper at that time? You talk about 1979, 1980. Were you thinking about being a rapper? No, I was pretending to be a rapper. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't about being in show business back then. Um, Hip-hop, for a lot of people... You know, before it came over the bridge from the Bronx in Harlem, when you heard the DJ and you heard the MC and you saw the breakdancer, it was almost like the way that we played with our G.I. Joes and our army men and the little girls was playing with their Barbie dolls. We were just pretending to be the guys that were doing the actual hip-hop like thing. The, like the Sugar Hill Gang and... The, yeah, we, it's, it's, it's amazing how they know every word to um, Christmas and Hollis. That was the same thing for us. We knew every word to rappers of life. We knew every word to Christmas rapping. By the way, Christmas rapping was the actual first hip-hop Christmas song. Curtis Blow, he yes. should yep, get, yep, get his props for that. But we were just make-believing because it was just about releasing yourself from... The, 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 the impact of the treacherous surroundings that you was living in your community. The breakdancing, the DJing, the MCing, and, and even the graffiti writing was a release for us. You know what I'm saying? It was like a creative, it was like, you know, when you sit down and read a book, or when you sit down and watch a movie, but with hip hop, you're doing your MCing, you're doing a record, you're actually doing it. Mm -hmm. So it was like a release for us. And, and you know, you talk about you know the arts, um, and you you were actually pretty good in other things like math and arithmetic and reading. You know, you were pretty good at that kind of stuff. Yes, I was. I was a really good student growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York. I was one of those kids that couldn't wait for the first day of school. Like my friends thought it was crazy. Like summer vacation's too long. I wish September would get here. Because for me, there was just something about having an empty notebook that you could fill up. You know what I'm saying? And and as a little kid, I would read. And, and even if I went to the dentist, you know, the dentist or the doctor could be very boring. But you know the, the wall with all the pamphlets? My mother thought I was crazy because I would sit there for the two hours that we was waiting to see the doctor or the dentist and I would read all of those. And then I would go home and write something about those experiences. And if, if, if I wasn't reading in school, 
If I wasn't reading anything that was in front of me, I was reading my comic books. So that was like the thing that gave me the skills to be a good student. Because even back then, they always say, even now, you know, it's something up that is weird about nerds and geeks. Because nerds and geeks, you know, we wear glasses and we only read, we read comic books and we're into Star Wars and all of that. But because we're utilizing our creativity, we become some powerful individuals. And that enabled me, all of that, all of, all the education and the reading, writing, was just a tool that I didn't know would be useful for me when I got into being a rapper in show business as a career. And, and you talk about, you know, some of the early comics books. Which ones were you buying? How much did they, they cost back then? Like, who, what Whoa, the comic books, when I started buying them, the comic books was like, what, 15 cents? Then it was 25. They went up a lot, though. <laughs> Every year they would go up to 35 cents. But comic books were really affordable. And for me as a kid, DC was cool. Batman, Superman, Justice League, um, The Flash, and all of that was cool. But Gotham and Metropolis was fictional. Marvel comic books, on the other hand, Stan Lee was a man. He really had the superheroes running around New York City. If you was to open up a Marvel comic book, you see the Lower East Side, you see Hell's Kitchen, you would see Harlem, you would see Fifth Avenue, you would see Park Avenue. So Marvel comic books showed me places in New York City that really existed that I couldn't go to. And I remember the first time we was going across the 59th Street Bridge, and um, my mother and father drove us to the city, Donnie, and we was going across the 59th Street Bridge, and you know the, um, the Roosevelt Island tram thing. And I'm a little kid sitting in the back seat, and when I saw that, I had a heart attack, and I couldn't breathe. And my mother was like, pull over! The boy's happening! He's having a seizure! And I was like, and she was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, and she was like, and she, I couldn't get it out. She was like, what wrong you? And I was like, mommy, mommy, I saw the Spider-Man. It does exist! And it was just a terrible thing. So Marvel comic book showed me in New York City as a little kid in Park State Village, Park Avenue, and stuff like that. So Marvel, for me, it was real. And even in the comic books, Comic books, and, and what a lot of kids in here should understand is that comic books are real. And what I mean by that is, even for adults, if all of us in here was to read a book, if we was all given the same book and we read that book, each of us in this room would walk away with something different that touched us that was just for us. So imagine if we all read a book and everybody in here walked away with something different. What would happen if we all came back and wrote down all of our ideas on the wall. It would be a multitude of information that would empower somebody that walked into this room. And that's all hip-hop was doing. Hip-hop was inspired by popular culture, whether it was Bugs Bunny and the Looney Tunes, Disney. Um, as kids, we grew up watching I Dream of Genie and Herman Munster and the Addams Family. So everything that we was getting you know, after school all of those images, all of those concepts, and all of those ideas was being imparted into our lives. And then when hip-hop came along, we was able to take all of that and put it on a record, or put it in a beat, or put it on a wall via through our graffiti. So it's all 360, and it goes full circle. So, so, so you have your, your first love is really, and you told me this a couple of weeks ago, your first love was really the comic books. Yes, people drawing. always go, D, well, how did you go from hip-hop to comic books? No, for me... Comic books was first. It's all I did, it's all that I cared about. And what had happened was when hip hop came over the bridge, um, 
I saw, like, when hip-hop first came here, I was still a kid. So I saw that they were doing these park jams, but I was still too young to comprehend what was going on. And it wasn't until I was in eighth grade, I was in eighth grade, I went to St. Pascal Bayline on 199th Street in, in Queens, in Hollis, Queens, and I went there. And in eighth grade, um, one of the older kids, no, I was in seventh grade, and Billy Morris was in eighth grade. And Billy Morris came into the, into the, into the schoolyard, and this was before boom boxes and stuff like that. Billy Morris had a tape recorder. Remember the little flat tape recorder you pushed the button and it popped up? This was before boom boxes. And he was like, come over here, come over here. It was me and two other friends. And we didn't know what Billy was trying to do to us because we was like, Billy knew all the older kids and Billy knew some of the drug dealers and the gangbangers. So Billy was like, yo, come over here. So me and my two friends, we was like, yo, we ain't going over there. He probably want us to smoke some reefer or something, right? And, a real talk. and then Billy was like, yo, I said, come in. So we said, yo, it's one of them and three of us. If you try anything, we're going to jump them. So we walked over there, and he said, listen to this, and he pushed play. And then we heard a voice, we heard a beat go, boom, dak da doom ga doom dak doom doom dak da doom And then a voice said, when you mess around in New York town, you go down with the disco chiba clown. Just keep the pep in your step. Don't stop till you get on the mountaintop. And then it stopped. It was like 30 seconds. And we said, do that again. And he pushed it again. We stood in the schoolyard for three hours listening to 30 seconds or whatever that was. And then after that comes the big question. Now, because when I heard that, I heard the music and I heard their voice, I just felt something clicking me. And I was like, yo, Billy, could I hold that? And Billy was like, oh, hell no, Daryl, you can't hold my thing. And I was like, yo, Billy, I'll give you the keys to my father's car. You can have my mother, this and that. You can, I'm just like, so he saw I was ready to sell my soul. So he let me hold it for a weekend. And I just spent the whole weekend just listening to that 30 seconds of whatever that was. After that encounter, then I started noticing the DJs that was playing in the parks and the block parties and all of that. And then um, before... It was Rapper's Delight and the mess. Before Sugar Hill Records, it was cassette tapes. Cassette tapes was coming over the bridge because people was um, duplicating. The people was recording Grandmaster Flash and Africa Bambada and the Cold Crush and the Crash Crew Live. And they would go home and make duplicates and they would come to Queens and sell them. So I started hearing all of this hip hop that was on these cassette tapes. And something just appealed to me that, you know, a lot of it at first I didn't understand, but the music sounded good. There was always a, a reference to something that I was familiar with, whether it was McDonald's, or whether it was a pair of sneakers, or whether it was up in the morning, go to school, teacher teaching the golden rule. Because when I was a kid, there was two types of hip-hop. There was the older hip-hop that was already in the clubs, which is what was on that tape. That was DJ Eddie Chiba. Um, there was DJs in the club already, you know, clap your hands and stuff. There was MC men. Rapping, but on the cassette tapes, you started hearing Little Rodney C and KK Rockwell, and they were just talking about stuff kids re could relate to. So, just like I used to take my favorite Marvel comic books and draw and duplicate what I was getting in a comic book, I just started writing rhymes. I came up with this, I was like, okay, the MC says his rhyme thing to the DJ that plays the beat. So, this is all make believe, this is like me pretending, and that's what I always tell kids. Your imagination really is, exists. It's, all spiritual truths are, are true. 
As a man thinketh, so he become. What you behold, you become. And you know, all of that stuff, is, it really works. <laughs> it's really true. So I just said, I'm Daryl. My name starts with a D. And it's easy for me to write rhymes. So I became Easy D. So all my original early stuff was, I'm Easy D, I'm Easy D, I'm Easy D, I'm Easy D. And I just wrote rhymes about everything that I did. You're listening to Queens Public Library's Hip Hop Series with DMC. So, so okay, so now you, you're, you're starting to hear these rhymes. Hip-hop is starting to become something. Like you said, there was older hip-hop. There was the, the, the newer hip-hop. Right. But um, you still hadn't made a recording. You hadn't right. met, met uh, Joseph Simmons. Not you yet. hadn't met Russell Simmons yet. None of that, yeah. Jam Master J. No, no, I knew Joseph Simmons. I went to St. Pascal Elementary School. Run was always in the other class. Me and my, my best friend growing up was Douglas Hayes. They called him Butter. He was a fat black kid that could play ball. We had crazy handle, and we grew up. Um, they played for the CYO Catholic, the Catholic basketball, yeah, Catholic Youth Organization basketball team. And one of the other dudes, he was he was in the league below us. It was Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson was amazing. Mark Jackson was scored forty five, but Butterwick hit fifty. So Butter was my best friend. And Ron was always in the, in the other class. And it was actually in eighth grade now, because seventh grade is when I heard the hip hop. And now I'm starting to pay attention. Then when I got into eighth grade, in the schoolyard at St. Pascal, we had one basketball rim, one basketball court where we would play ball after school every day. And when we was in the eighth grade, this new kid named David McEachin came to the school just for one year from eighth grade. And he was like eight feet tall. But he wasn't really eight feet tall. He was kid, so. But it was like he was eight feet tall. He probably was like probably you know five eleven or something. But he was like eight feet tall. And what happened one day after school, he dunked it and he broke the rim. So now we have no rim. And, and my, my uncle Griffin and Aunt Catherine and Donnie, my cousin Donnie, noticed. My mother and father put a basketball rim up in my backyard so that I didn't have to go all the way to parks to play ball. So what we started to do was after school we would go to my backyard and play ball. So all the kids in my class, in the other class, would come to my backyard and play ball. That was the routine. One particular day, only Joseph Simmons from the other class showed up. So we would get out of school like 2.10, and my mother and father would get home at 4 p.m. And one of the rules, and as a little kid, kids, the reason why I became the king of rock and I'm able to conquer the world is because I listened to my elders. And I obeyed their instructions which allowed me to become a powerful and productive individual. But not on this particular day. One of the rules was, one of the rules was, one of the rules was when nobody's home, you can't have company as a kid. So this, right, remember that? So this particular one day, it was just Joseph Simmons. So usually I would go in the house and bring water out for all the kids. This particular day was just Joseph Simmons. So I said, you could come in to get the water, you know, because it's early. My mother ain't going to be home till four. So when he came in, he saw me and my brother's turntables. And it was like, yo, you do that? And I said, no, because it was make-believe to me. He was like, you know about I said, no, I don't want to do that. Because it was like, I ain't want nobody to know my secret. You know what I'm saying? So he goes, yo, my brother, he said, you ever see those flyers that's up on the telephone poles? In, in, he said, yeah, my brother's Rush. He does all the Rush parties and this and that. And I was like, yeah, really rich. So what we would do is we would get out of school 210. We would play basketball until about a quarter to three, and then from a quarter to three to um, 3.15, we would go in the basement and DJ on me and my brother's DJ equipment. And one particular day, we was down in the basement. This was probably like 
maybe the 15th or 16th time. And what I like to tell all the young kids is, everything that you learn in school, when people tell you to do positive things, when people say you need to go to the opera, when people say you need to go to the ballet, all you young people, don't never look at anything as corny. Don't never look at anything that is corny. Everything that is corny to you, everything that the so-called negative people think isn't worth your time, that is your billion-dollar diamond mine. Let me tell you, if they say come play the violin, tap, dance, go to the opera, it might not be for you to go to listen to the opera. There might be somebody there that will see something in you that can be utilized to transform your existence. And what happened to me was we were just in the basement this particular day watching the clock because we had to get him out the house before my mom came home, and he just started picking up my books. You know what I'm saying? And he saw the good grades that I was getting. He was like, yo, Daryl, you get grades like this? And I was like, yeah, man, it's what I do. You know what I'm saying? I was souped up about that. And then when he started opening all my notebooks, so I just write my rhymes. I was just writing my rhymes. You know what I'm saying? He said, Daryl, you wrote these rhymes? And I was like, yeah, that's what I do. And he just looked at me and he said, whenever, and it was like, it was almost like he was talking a foreign language to me. Because I looked at him like, what the hell did he just say? He says, when Russell lets me make a record, I'm going to put you in my group. And I looked at him like, oh, okay, what did he say? Went in one ear out the other. <laughs> Run and Jam Master Jay went to the same high school. So we got out of eighth grade, we went to high school. I went to high school, 124th Street in Lenox. I went to Rice High School. Run and Jam Master Jay went to school here in Queens at Andrew Jackson. So make a long story short, four years go by, I'm, um, I get to 12th grade, um, it's time to apply for college. Um, my friend Butter, Douglas Hayes, he tells me this, and the moral to you young people is this. You can ask your friends questions, you can learn from their um, situations, and you can take your advice, but don't be a follower, because being a follower gets you into trouble. And what had happened to me was, in 12th grade, they said it's time to grow up. And, and, and pick a career and pick a school that you can go to. So me, I'm a dummy. I look over at my freshman Doug and say, I don't know what I want to be. I'm just a kid. I want to go home and read my comic books and write some rhymes. So that's what I was thinking. So Douglas Hayes tells me, hold on. He says, pick St. John's University because it's right here in Queens. It's close. And we, and he's speaking for me. We don't want to go away to school. We don't want to go to Syracuse. We want to commute back and forth like we did our whole lives in high school. So I picked St. John's University. Then I said, now what do I pick as my major? Hold on. He tells me, pick business management. So I pick business management, right? To take the sheet back, I apply to St. John's University. I get accepted. So now we graduate summertime. August comes. It's, uh, I remember, it was a Sunday afternoon in August. The phone rings. And it's Joseph Simmons. He's like, yo, Daryl. Remember when I told you four years ago that when Russell let me make this record, I'm putting you in a group? Grab the school books, because that's where all my rhymes was written. Grab the school books. We're going to the studio. So we go to the studio. We go to Green Street Recording Studio on Green Street. We go there. We make it like that, and that's the way it is in Sucking Seas. And then we go home. And the funny thing is I never told my mother and father where I was going that day. I just said, I'm going over Joe's house. So we go to Green Street Recording Studio. I'm thinking I'm going to be home by 9, 30, 10 o'clock. I don't get home till 2 in the morning. Wow. So my mother and father, they waiting at the door. You know what I'm saying? I get in trouble. And I didn't go. 
Mom, Dad, we made a record and this and that. I just said, I was up in Joe Attic. So you don't do that no more and this and that. So I got in trouble, whatever, whatever. So make a long story short, I'm in St. John's University now. And that's why I said, don't be a follower. You can get your friend's advice, but don't follow. So the first day of school comes for me to go to St. John's University. I get up to the campus. I don't see Douglas. I don't see Butter. So this is funny for you kids and for the adults. I go to the payphone. <laughs> I put the cord in the payphone. I call Doug. He in bed. He goes, what? Oh, it's Monday. I don't got no classes on Monday. So I hang up the phone. I'm all alone. So I'm in my second semester at St. John's University saying to myself, man, I got to grow up. Um, of college isn't like high school. Nobody helps you. So I had to look at myself and say, what in the hell can I do? Bingo, I can draw. I can draw really good. So I've discovered I hated accounting. I hated bookkeeping. I hated all of that. Anything that happened to do with business, I was like, it's too much thinking. So I go home and I'm like, oh, Mom, uh, I just want to let you know. And they were working to pay for my tuition. I'm like, oh, Mom, I just want to let, let you know. Um, I think I'm going to drop that course. I'm like, you know, my, my father's like, uh, my father, rest in peace, he passed away. But he was like, go on. My mother, she giving me that look. <laughs> she about to go upside my head. I'm like, you know, I don't like accounting and I don't like bookkeeping, but you know, mom, I can draw. Um, you know, I'm gonna try my hand in graphic arts. I'm gonna try my hand in accounting. You know, anything, mom and dad, that has to do with drawing, because that's my skill. I could really do that. And then I was like, even if I have to drop out of college and draw the comic books in the local funny papers on the week, mama, oh hell no, am I ever this? My father's calm down, woman, this and that. So I get in trouble and I go upstairs and this and that. And I'm sitting there and then Joe calls. Yo, D, remember the demo that we made? You know, I can say, yeah. Well, we got a record deal. <laughs> Russell and Rick got a record deal, this and that. And, I, and I'm playing it all. I'm not telling Joe what's going on. I'm like, yo, Joe, it's all good. But right now I'm doing with these school issues. And I hang up the phone. Hour later, he calls back. Yo, D, so, so he's calling me. I'm trying to figure out what's going on with my mother and father. So that's going on through the time and time and time and time and time. That's how it's going on. Then about three weeks later, Run calls again. But this time it's, yo, D, they're going to play our record now. Because remember, hip-hop was only Friday and Saturday nights. Right, yeah. right, right, you know what I'm saying? Yo, Friday, they're going to play our record, whatever, whatever, whatever. So, Michael, I, I did the interview for you. Mm -hmm. You know, they played the record. I'm still not into... Where the, were you when you heard the record being played? I'll never forget. I was in my bedroom. I was sitting in my bedroom in trouble. Because I'm going through all this school drama with my mother and father. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, Run calls. He says, D. They're going to play the record in about an hour. So they played it like that, um, and that's the way it is. They just played that, and it was like, you know who, because there was no album covers of video, so nobody knew who the hell we were. So then that weekend, they played Sucker and Seeds. And it's like that was more like the radio song. But when Sucker and Seeds hit, it was just, it was just every, the day they played Sucker and Seeds, Every, when I walked out of my house, every four steps that I took, everywhere I went, I would hear this record. But I still didn't know what was going on because I'm, I'm walking through life like this. I gotta grow up, I gotta figure out what this is. So I'm not realizing what's happening. And then a couple of weeks later, Run calls again, excited. We got a show. D, pack your bags, we're going to do a show. And hang up the phone and I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I hang up the phone and I sit there and I wake up. Oh my God. I never told my mother and father that I made a record. <laughs>
So Joe's calling, telling me that we got a show in North Carolina. And back then, we was getting like um, a thousand, we was getting $1,200 to $1,500. That was a lot of money for a kid fresh out of high school. That was good, yeah. So he's like, yeah, this is it. We're going to be getting $1,200 to $1,500 show, whatever. And I'm still on the phone. I'm a bad friend. I didn't, I should have told Joe the truth when it was going down. I hang up the phone and I'm like, yo, Joe going to kill me if this goes down. So I go downstairs, true story. Mom, dad, I need to speak to you all again. So my father, you know, he's, he's uh, though I love him. He was like, okay, what's going on? My mother, she's like, this. <laughs> Just waiting to smack me upside my head. And I go like this. I go, uh, remember that night in August when I came home two in the morning? Yeah. And now my father's starting to get, give that mother look. Well, I wasn't really at Joe's house. We went to the studio and we made this record. And remember that thing me and Alfred used to do in the basement with your record when we took your turntable and brought the mix and thing? And the thing that they used to do at the block parties and this and that, well, like the record's rappers are like me and when we have one of those records and this and that, and it's hip-hop, and Russell said the name is going to be Run DLC. So my mother's raising hell, this and that. My father's, calm down, woman. And all my father wanted to know, calm down, calm down. My father, he just wanted to know, I want to ask you something. What in the hell is hip-hop, and what in the world is Run DMC? <laughs> True story, and I explained that to them, and then they heard me out, and then it was like, no, you can't go. So I went back upstairs in my room, and I'm like, oh, shoot, this is going to, Joe won't really kill me now. And then I'm like, thinking, I'm thinking, and Joe calls this and that, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and then I'm like, oh, he said we're going to be getting twelve to $1,500, so I came up with a plan. I went downstairs, and young boys and girls, it's all about compromising with your parents or whoever is raising you. If you do something positive, you gotta know how to negotiate. So I went downstairs and I was like, cause I knew my mother and father was paying my tuition. I went downstairs and I was like, yo mom, um, if y'all let me go on this, and I'm thinking, I'm not thinking career, I'm not thinking record business, I'm thinking they're gonna play this record for this one summer, I'm gonna probably do six or seven shows, and that's gonna be it. I'll be 60 years old telling my grandsons, I have a record out in 1984, and this and that. I said, Mom, whatever money I make on this, doing these little bit of shows this summer, I will take all of that money, I'll save it up, and I'll pay my own tuition. And when I said that, it was like they had the little conference. Okay, you can go. I took a leave of absence, and I've been absent from college ever since. <laughs> it just kept going and going. So, so I can say that you know you are uh, an entrepreneur on your on your own. You know you you've gone out and done things on your own. First time, you know I'm making a record. First time, I'm, I'm doing all these things in college. You know you're making decisions. Right. Yeah. You know. So now you you in 2016 or 2015, right. you, come, you got you have this. This right here, yeah. and and you've published this and, and been part of this from the beginning. So if I'm a young person and I'm out here and I'm like, man, I want to do a comic book D, but I have mm -hmm. no idea. I'm not you. I'm just me. How do mm -hmm. I do this? Well, if the first when we did the book, even though we self-published it, when I when I originally was convinced to do the book, originally I thought that I had to take my characters and my idea and go to Marvel and go to DC, sign a deal with them and let them do it. And um, my two editors in chiefs, um, Edgardo Miranda Rodriguez is my other editor and my other editor is Riggs Morales, um, by the way, who was um, Eminem's right hand man 
on the rise of Shady Records. All of those records, Riggs Morales was Eminem's right-hand man on that record. And when, he, when, when I came up with the idea, he said, no, D, don't take it to Marvel in DC. You need to own your own intellectual property. And that's one of the first things that I would tell the kids, if it's music, if it's, if it's, um, if it's merchandise, if it's apparel or something, you gotta do the deals where you own your own, you can do a deal, but you gotta make sure what you create, you need to own that. So once they convinced me to do that, to answer your question is, you don't think I got a hot song, I got a hot comic book, or I got a hot piece of clothing. Don't think you're gonna run out there and press up or make a thousand pieces of something. You start real small. So for comic book, what we did before we did issue one, we did a 10-page introductory presentation called an issue zero to introduce the idea, not to the companies, but to the people. So we created an issue zero and we gave it away. Kids always come up to me and say, yo, DMC, you know, how do I break into business? I don't never say, you know, get a good lawyer. I don't give them that information. And they look at me crazy when I tell them this. I said, you want to be hot, you want to get known, and you want to be a performer. Go make the best record you will make in your life and give it away. They look at me, I want to get paid for that. No, you want to create a relationship with the audience to find out where you should be going. Once you build that relationship by giving them free pieces of your greatness, when you do put up a book for sale for $10 or a song or album for $10, those people will buy it. So we created an introduction. It's almost like, you see what the gum, y'all travel to and from school, the adults and, and the kids in here, if you're at a bus stop or if you're at a train station and a new toothpaste comes out, they always hire somebody to stand in with a bucket and give out little samples. You gotta give people samples of your gifts. So we created Issue Zero and everybody got really excited about it. You're listening to Queens Public Library's hip hop series with DMC.